Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. We continue through the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 11. Keep on singing. Christians have a reason to sing no matter what the circumstances. And Jesus has given us a song of salvation for us to sing to the world. Don't let the enemy silence your melody. We're going to see in this chapter that every soul matters to Christ and his church. And we will go at great lengths to save one sinner. The Holy Spirit has given our great apostles and missionaries a vision of a man crying for help from Macedonia. And it's just one voice, one person, and God sends his missionaries. You must go save the one. And while they minister, one by one they come to the Lord. Not always by the masses. You know, I love Greg Laurie and the Harvest Crusade, and I was just amazed to see the Angel Stadium floor filled with thousands upon thousands that got saved. But many times, God calls us just one at a time, as we're going to see in this chapter. One woman, one girl, one man, one family, one by one. And I believe that Jesus died for every single person on earth. Not all Christians believe that, I am sorry to tell you. But I believe Jesus died for everyone, even the lost, even the greatest sinner for every single soul because he loves us all and he wants us all to be saved. It is God's will that none should perish but all should come to repentance but because of our sinful human will. Many times we don't want to. We don't want God. And the decision, the responsibility is on you whether you will come or not. Save Lydia, the businesswoman. The Holy Spirit is targeting a businesswoman. She's very resourceful. She appears to be running a household by herself, taking care of a family. And the Holy Spirit is out to save Lydia. Well, let's turn Acts 16, verse 11. So, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Key towns, locations where people live. I believe Jesus loves every city. Reno, Sparks, Verdi, outlaying communities that can seem so small, but they matter to God. And now they have targeted Philippi, and they've started a church on this missionary journey in Philippi. Later, Paul will write a letter to this church to the Philippians, if you remember the book. Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of 
Macedonia, and here they arrive to start ministering, answering the call for help in a vision, in a dream from the Lord. A Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days, ministering, touching people one by one. Everyone matters to God. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, Saturday, the Jewish day of worship, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. You see, our Jewish disciples have targeted the Jews first and then the Greeks, the Gentiles. But they used the infrastructure of Judaism, the Jewish synagogues that met on Saturday. But this place has no synagogue. There's not enough Jews. So what handful of Jews there are would traditionally go outside to a beautiful garden to where there's water, uh, a river bank like the Truckee River, and they'd have a little outdoor Bible study. And so our disciples are targeting the riverbank, if you will. We sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled a ladies' Bible study of Jews. They're coming to read the Old Testament. They're coming to seek God. But they're not Christian. They don't know of Christ and Christianity yet. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, textiles, yes, expensive purple dye. She has found a niche. She's making money. She's a successful businesswoman, and God is out to target her. God loves us all, even single moms, even hardworking women. Uh, I think of marketplace evangelism, that the gospel must penetrate into businesses and reach the business owners, the employees, the workers. A worshiper of God, she believes in the true God of the Bible, Judaism, but she doesn't know God's Son yet, and Jesus is the key. She was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. There are two key things we need. We need the Word of God going out, and we need the Holy Spirit opening up hearts. We need them both. We need to be preaching and teaching the scriptures, the Bible verses, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit to open eyes, to open hearts, to convict and to pull people to Christ. We need them both. And you see, the Holy Spirit has opened the door of her heart. He is key. Do you sense his pulling, his voice? Is he speaking to you? Is he pulling you to Christ? If your heart is not open, then you must pray, Holy Spirit, open my heart so that I can hear, so that I can see, so that I can come to Jesus Christ. Verse 15. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, 
come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She becomes a Christian. Her whole family, her children come to the Lord. She wants to take the sign of the church. I want to be baptized into this way, into the Christian faith, me and all my kids. Many times you have a key family member. When that one comes to Christ, they all fall like dominoes, right? Uh, they all line up like little ducks, you know. I've seen husbands come to the Lord, and then the wife, and then the kids. And you may be a key person in God's plan. He wants to reach you, but he's also targeting your whole family, your whole clan, just like Lydia. Lydia has not only opened her heart to the Lord, she has opened her home to the Lord. And she tells our missionaries, you need a place to stay. You stay with me. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. God's blessed me. I've been successful in business, and I want to use my house for God's services, hospitality, a special gift. I think houses are a gift from the Lord, and we should use them for God's service. I have a guest bedroom that I love to house missionaries and pastors and traveling ministers. And I say, no, no, no. You stay in my house, not at the hotel. Come on in. This is God's house. I use it for his service. And she prevails. She's insistent. No, we don't want to impose. Yes, please. Here, have some potatoes. No, no, I'm full. No, have some more. Yeah, no people like that. They're gracious. They're giving. You're going to have a place, a warm bed. You're going to have a full tummy. And this is Lydia. She is key in God's work. I think women are key to the ministry of Christ. I see it from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. Do you know Jesus and the disciple, they had no bucks, no money. They had no homes. They had no jobs. They left it all, yes? And yet God provided through the women. They opened their homes. They made meals. They were uh, supporters of the work of Christ. They were behind the scenes, and they were supporting the ministry of Jesus all the way up here to our missionaries. Open your house. Open your heart to God's work. Deliver the demon-possessed slave girl, target number two. The Holy Spirit is after this poor young teenage girl, possessed by a demon, under his power and control. And she's a human slave, not only to the occult, but to these bosses that own her, masters. Verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. A spirit of witchcraft, a demonic python spirit, it tells us in the original language. Python, the spirit of a snake, a serpent, the serpent of old from Eden that tempted Adam and Eve. Yes, do you remember the serpent? The snakes. And this 
python spirit, this demon, had the ability somehow to tell the future, to reveal or to make the future happen. And it would speak through her body, through her voice. She was, it was like a ventriloquist, yes? The demon was the puppet master, would pull the, the strings and move her mouth, and through her voice, it spoke of the future. And people would pay lots of money because this was the real thing. It wasn't a phony act. She had the power of Satan and the demonic realm to tell fortunes and to prophesy. And so she made her master very wealthy because she was good at her demonic gift. Who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling, successful. I was thinking of Harry Potter and Parcel Tongue, where Harry Potter, the witch, the warlock, in touch with the powers of Satan, could speak to serpents, a demonic tongue, and he could understand their voices and what the serpents, what the snakes were saying. Demonic, evil, creepy. Don't talk to the devil. And don't let him talk through you. You are playing with fire. 17. Following after Paul and us. There's the us. Us is Luke. Luke has joined the missionary team. Luke is the author of Acts. And he's going to tell us great things that God is doing. She kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. The devil does speak truth mixed with lies. The devil does reveal things, uh, but he also manipulates it and uses it. I've met Satan worshipers, and boy, they can quote the scriptures good. But they usually leave a part off. They usually pull it out of context. They usually manipulate the text. They're tricky. They're good. And she is supporting the work of our Christian missionaries. How bizarre. Why would someone demon-possessed promote missions? Why would someone in the occult come into a Christian church? Why would a witch and warlock be a part of Christian ministry? Not to support it, to subvert it, to be spies, to be saboteurs. I've known of witches that have joined churches, seduced pastors, and left them in rubble splitting and demolishing the church. Beware when Satan wants to help you. Beware when a demon wants to come to church. It's not for our benefit. It's for our destruction. We don't need the help of the world. We don't need Satan's help. Don't make a promise with the devil. Don't make a pact with his demon. Don't seek the world and the devil's help. It will be your undoing. Verse 18. She continued doing this for many days. 
But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, he's not speaking to the little girl. He sees behind her face that there is a demonic presence, a power. He has discernment to know it's a demon from hell that needs to be sent back. He doesn't speak to her. He speaks to the demon and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, short and sweet and direct. Address the spirit. Call it by name if you have its name. Bind it. Take authority over it as a Christian and use the powerful name of Jesus Christ and cast it out immediately. Don't let it talk. Don't play games with it. Don't let it exercise its power and overwhelm you. Bind it, cast it out, and be done with it. And it came out at that very moment, an exorcism, the real McCoy. Now, only Christians should cast out demons. Ask the seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> we cast you out in Jesus' name. Yeah, but are you a Christian? And then the demon jumps on the, on the exorcists and tears them up because they didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They didn't know what they were speaking of. They didn't believe in the name that they were using, the name of the cross, the, uh, the power of the cross, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. So only believers should battle demons. 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. She had the real spirit. She was a moneymaker to us. You have ruined our business. We're going to destroy you for setting her free. Bizarre, ironic. Follow the money. The money leads to their, their schemes and how they're manipulating and using and abusing her. The devil has his ways of pulling you in. I was thinking of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And remember the little boy Edmund when he comes to the white witch who represents the devil, and she gives him a gift, Turkish delight. It's like candy. The first one's free because it's going to hook you like drugs. And he eats his little treat and he's hooked like a crackhead, you know, on heroin. And he comes back again and again. I must have more. It pulls me. It haunts me. It controls me. See, that's the way the devil is. He gives you a gift. The first one's free. Oh, it's a little treat. Oh, it's so fun. I want to make a deal with you, you know. Sell out your family. <laughs> Bring them back to me. Don't take any gifts from Satan or his demons. Verse 20. 
And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. They're playing the race card. They're Jews, and we're Romans. They're not like us. They don't know our culture, our language, our manners. We can't accept who they are and what they teach. This religion is foreign to us. You know, we're Romans, our allegiance, Italy, you know, our heritage. They're causing all these problems, these missionaries. They're bringing in a new religion about this Jesus. And it's true, the missionaries of Christianity have invaded the world. And they brought love and grace and forgiveness. The missionaries would teach the people how to catch fish and how to raise crops and dig wells. The missionaries would come to the natives and give them law and order and civilization. Don't spear each other anymore. <laughs> God is forgiving. Forgive your brother. And the missionaries brought a whole different way of life and blessings to so many nations. I think of America. Where would we be without the Judeo-Christian philosophy and the values and the law and order and the Ten Commandments and the education and all the blessings? They revolt against our missionaries. Verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. They're outnumbered. The crowd has turned against our missionaries. They do not know. They do not understand. I do recommend the book, the movie, Through the Gates of Splendor, the end of the spear about the five missionaries going to the Alka Indians, but they get surrounded. And our five American missionaries are speared to death. Tragic, horrible. The Indians, they didn't understand. They were scared. They thought they were in danger. They were fighting for their lives, so they thought. But then later, two of the wives come back to the very village that killed their husbands, and the village gets saved. Ironic. 23. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. These Christian missionaries, we hear about how they keep escaping. <laughs> You've got to put severe chains on them. Put them in the inner cell, maximum security, 24-hour surveillance. Do not let them escape. 24, and he, this jailer, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks with chains, wooden holders of their ankles. Talk about a bad hair day. <laughs> 
Talk about the worst day of your life. You have been falsely accused. You've been arrested. You've been beat to a bloody pulp. You've been thrown in a prison cell. Your feet are in stocks. You're in the pit of hell. Down, depressed, lonely, despair, hopeless. It's like the whole world is against you. And you have hit bottom. Where do you go? What do you do? When you hit bottom, that's the time to look up. That's the time to pray. And when you're a Christian, that's the time to sing. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567 and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.